Hi, this is John from Prodigal Church. We want to thank you for listening to this week's teaching. The best way to watch and listen is through our Prodigal mobile app, available at your app store. We hope you are moved to love God and others in a greater way. Now, let's dive right into this week's teaching. A year ago, this past Thursday, I was sitting in a local breakfast shop uh, working on my sermon for the upcoming Sunday. I had a bowl of oatmeal and a cup of coffee with just a tiny bit of cream in it. I had been there about 45 minutes, and so the waitress had already filled it up for me once. And as I'm working on my sermon, I get these constant updates about this emerging pandemic called COVID-19. This was Thursday at 8 a.m. A pastor friend of mine called me and asked what was our plan going forward with this Sunday with COVID. And he had told me that there's a number of churches in our state that have already moved to online services to uh, be as safe as possible, and that he and his church were going to move to online services this weekend as well. And his church was in Visalia, only 40 minutes away. And I paused and I said, well, I don't know of any other churches in Fresno that are going to be canceling their services this weekend. But during this short five-minute conversation, and as I looked around the restaurant and saw on the TVs, on ESPN, all of the announcements regarding the postponement of NBA games because of positive tests and COVID-19. So I called Sarah and we talked about it. I reached out to our staff and we talked about it. I reached out to other churches in our city to see what they were going to be doing and they were all still planning on meeting um, as usual on Sunday mornings, but something inside of all of us was begin to stir that we needed to be as cautious as possible. And so by that afternoon, we had recorded and posted a four minute and 23 second long video saying that for the foreseeable future, we were going to be moving to online services. And little did I know that foreseeable future meant over a year later. This year has been very hard. It's been hard on our nation. It's been hard on our businesses. It's been hard on our communities. It's been hard on our families. It's been hard on us. And later that weekend, the, all the school district announced that they were gonna be canceling their schools for the next couple of weeks to kind of figure this out. And so we told our six-year-old son that uh, we're gonna be having a staycation. That's what we called it, a staycation. Dad's gonna be home a lot more. We're not gonna be going to restaurants and things like that and kindergarten's gonna look a little bit different for a while. And at first, the staycation was great. Sure, we missed people, we missed doing the things that we used to be doing, but we were in it together. There was this trail near our house where we would take our kids on a walk. And during those first several weeks when we would take them, we'd wave at people passing by. And it was, it was almost as if they gave a, a, a wink like an unspoken nod that we're in this together. Good for you. Keep your distance. Like, like we got this. We're going to get through it. But as a few weeks became a few months, that commonality was mostly gone. The let's get through this together dissipated into frustration, fatigue, fear, and divisiveness we began to see that the coronavirus doesn't only take a toll on our bodies, but it takes a toll on our minds and our spirits as well. Over a half a million Americans have died from this virus. Nearly three million 
have died globally, but we all know and feel that the toll that this virus has taken on us cannot be quantified in death count because it's taken so much more. And today we start a new sermon series called Dawn is Coming. We're going to be exploring doubt, dissent, despair, distress, really any D word that deals with the depths of who we are. That, that is the emotion, that is the experience that we're going to be exploring these next several weeks leading into Resurrection Sunday. And haven't we all experienced all of those this year? Any of you experienced doubt, despair, distress? We've all experienced these, not just as in we as those who are watching this, but we as humanity, right? These are innate to the human experience. What are we to do with them in the spiritual life? Because they're not a part of Starbucks Christianity, right? Like there are not 10 principles so that you can avoid distress and despair in your life. Those principles don't exist because despair, doubt, distress is something that we're all going to be going through. It is a part of the human experience. And when you think of the church and the spiritual life, you don't think about necessarily engaging into the depths, but rather suppressing our questions, our doubts, our depths. But this series is set to, to counteract that. Doubt, despair, distress. These are not distractions from the spiritual life. They are a part of the spiritual life. Any spiritual life that doesn't address the depths is not a spiritual life worth living. Any spiritual life that doesn't encompass the myriad of human experience and emotion might keep us in line. It might keep us looking good, but it doesn't make us whole. And so we're going to dive deep these next several weeks. Traditionally, the season of Lent has been an inward dark journey leading into Resurrection Sunday throughout the church calendar and throughout church history. And we're taking these last three weeks leading up to Easter Sunday to do the same. Number one in your notes is this, don't censor your prayers. It is not wrong to pray with complaints to God. If you feel it, say it. The Bible's full of these kinds of prayers. Read the Psalms, Psalm 6. I am worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with tears. Psalm 10. Oh Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I am in trouble? Psalm 13. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Let's just leave that verse on the screen right now for a second. Is that you right now? Or has that been you at any time in this past year? Yeah, I, I love that, that it's important to know that David, who wrote these Psalms, who wrote these prayers, God isn't mad at him at this time, right? Like God's not gonna strike him down with lightning because he asked these honest uh, pain-filled prayers of anguish to God and complained and accused God. No, no, quite the contrary. David is known as a man after God's own heart. You see, God doesn't want our charades. He wants our honesty. God wants your honesty, not charades. So if you feel it, say it. Don't 
compartmentalize part of who you are to your creator. No, God's big enough to handle it. We bring our whole selves to him. Sarah and I have been married almost 15 years, and there are times when I'm not in a good mood and I'm upset. Now, I know that might be hard for some of you guys to ever imagine, but from time to time, it is true. And when I'm upset, Sarah always knows it. Always. She'll say, what's wrong? And I'll say, nothing. And she'll say, what's wrong? Tell me. And she can tell for a lot of reasons, mostly because I'm more distant or I use short answers. How was your day? Good. Do you get a lot done at work? Yep. But when I'm not honest with her, when I say that nothing is wrong or that I'm not angry, I'm actually cutting off intimacy from her. I'm not being honest, I'm not being authentic, and I think I'm fooling her, but I am mistaken. And when we're not authentic with God, we actually lose that intimacy. We're creating distance. If Sarah can tell, can't God? God already knows. It's not like uh, I can have this anger or these questions and God seems distant, um, but then when you ask me to pray, I'm gonna say, gracious, close Father, who showers us with blessings all of the time. And I'm praying this, you are so gracious and present. And I'm using the King James version of thoueth knoweth my heart. And no, 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 If you feel it, say it. Don't put a charade on. God wants you, all of you, messy you, angry you, scared you, anxious you, doubtful you. God just wants you. So let's be honest. Rather than fooling God with our charade, we're distancing ourselves from the Almighty. No, if, if you feel it, say it. Cry it out. Yell it. Just don't keep it in. Keeping it in might keep you safely within religious propriety, but that is all. In reality, it's a recipe for lifeless religion, not life-giving religion. Some of you might be thinking, well, if I prayed what I actually felt, my prayers would sound a lot more like curses than prayers. And that's okay too. Actually, the Bible has quite a few of those. Look at Psalm 3. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. Psalm 58. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. He loves breaking this teeth thing, doesn't he? Lord, tear out the fangs of those lions. Let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows fall short. May they be like a slug that melts away as it moves along, like a stillborn child that never sees the sun. David goes dark here, really dark. That's not very nice. No, it's not, but you've had these thoughts. We, I've had these thoughts. We see them as thoughts of justice. I just want people to get what's coming to them. I just want them to know how much they hurt me. Bold honesty in prayer, even revealing the darkness inside of ourselves. Is it possible that going before God and bringing up the darkness that is within and inventing that out to God, could it perhaps expose it to light and help it fade? Psalm 58. The wicked will be swept away. The righteous will be glad when they are avenged, when they dip their feet in the blood of the wicked. Have you had enough yet, right? Like, make it stop. I don't like these. Hold on, just 37 more, okay? 
They're all throughout the Bible. There are lots of passages like this. It's uncomfortable honesty. And these prayers are filled with rage, distress, despair, doubt. And we as Christians, we almost feel like, like surely we can't bring these feelings or these emotions to God. This global pandemic that has changed everything. Surely we can't question God and say, how come you're not answering our prayers? How come a half a million people have died in our country? How come so-and-so passed? How come this person lost their business? How come this person is going through mental health crisis? How come, how come, how come? Surely we can't bring these requests to God. Walter Brueggemann nobly insists that rage is rightly carried even to the presence of Yahweh, that it may be relinquished there. So we bring out these anger and sometimes violent impulses and these deep questions and these deep issues of anxiety and fear and worry and revenge, and we bring them before God that they may be relinquished there. Leave everything in God's hands, even the feelings of hatred and aggression. The most familiar prayer in the Anglican church tradition addresses God as the one from whom no secrets are hid. Isn't that beautiful? The one from whom no secrets are hid. And the prayer suggests that we spend a lot of our time in every aspect of our lives hiding secrets. These feelings that we feel towards our enemies or to these people who haven't got theirs yet. They're there, we take them with us wherever we go. Why don't we take them to God? Prayer with God is the one place where such secrets cannot and must not be hidden because denial isn't only a river in Africa. It doesn't work, right? Denial doesn't work. We must dare to despair of God. We must dare to despair. We, we must be able to go before the King of Kings, the throne of thrones, and to say, Lord, here's where I'm at, and rip open our chest and pour out all of this to God. And God is big enough to handle it. He knows you feel it already. He knows you're experiencing it. He knows you have those questions. And he's like, lay it all on me. Bring the full gamut of your human experience to the throne of your creator. Picture two siblings playing in the backyard and one burst through the door crying, he hit me. And as a parent, you don't know who struck who first, right? But the child uses the most colorful of language to describe their pain and their attack. And they're using their tears and the, and the fluctuation of their voice and the volume of their voice. And then as you bandage the wound, they say, ground them. He did it. Get them in trouble. They're in pain. They're wounded. They're crying. And as a parent, what do you do? You don't silence them in that moment. No. No. You hold them close. You hold them close, you let them express it, you listen, you allow them to let it all out, and then you say, I love you. How about you leave the punishment part to me? That is like God to us. 
We run to him in our honesty, in our anger, in our thirst for justice, and we say, get him, God. And he just lets us go off. And he, and he holds us. And he says, why don't you let me take care of that? I heard a powerful story of a married couple, been married about 20 years, the Tyler family, Amy and Mark, and for the first 12 years of their marriage, they tried desperately to have a child. Some of you uh, know the pain that comes when, with issues of infertility, and they tried in vitro, and they tried every single thing possible, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. At one point, she felt like she just needed this, this visual. So, so she felt like God was gonna honor her prayers. And so she, met, she knit together two pairs of like little footies for babies. It was a blue pair of footies and then a little pink pair of footies. And she hung them up in her closet and she prayed every day that God would fill those footies. God would fill those with the child. Finally, after 12 years, and no, nothing happened, they decided they, it, they needed to give up on their dream. It was easier to try and pick up the pieces and try and move on than it was to keep trying and fail once again because that pain was all too real. And one spring, they were at a church small group, much like the small groups that we have had these last several weeks here at Prodigal, and one night, there was an older couple in the group that said, we want to share something with you all. Uh, we kind of been holding it in for a while, but we feel like it's necessary to share with you. Our lives are going to change greatly. See, our young teenage daughter is now pregnant. And uh, we are going to be adopting the baby and raising it as our own. So would you guys, as our family, as our, as our community of faith, would you be praying for us and supporting us during this difficult season? And Amy, on the outside, yeah, she managed her feelings really well. She put on a great face of compassion and heartfelt love for this family. But inside, she was thinking, God, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, God? 12 years we prayed, we fasted, we sought, we spent every dollar we've ever had. This has been our one dream. And then some teenager in the backseat of a car gets pregnant and doesn't even want the baby? Are you kidding me, God? And after small group that night, they got into their car and Amy just stared out the window. His tears ran down her face. When she got home, she cried, she yelled, she threw things. She said, God, how dare you? The next morning, calmer heads prevailed. She's drinking a cup of coffee, staring through the window, and those little footies came to her mind. And she felt like God wanted her to go to that teenage girl's house and bless her with the blue pair of footies. You see, the parents had said that it was going to be a baby boy. And so, against everything inside, against her instincts, against what maybe she wanted deep down, she drove over there and found a 15-year-old girl and said that your parents let us know um, 
about this new gift of life coming into your guys' life, and I felt like uh, I should give these to you. I knit these a while ago for a baby um, that I knew God was gonna bless this world with, and these are for you. And she immediately started crying, and she said, I felt nothing but judge, judgment and shame from, from other people in the church, and so the fact that you want to bless me means the most. The girl started crying. Amy prayed for her and she went home. She wasn't home more than 30 minutes before her cell phone rang. She didn't recognize the ring, the phone number, and so she picks it up anyway. And on the other end was a doctor. You see, Amy was in pharmaceutical sales. She had been in pharmaceutical sales for years. And a year and a half ago, uh, she went to a small farming community that wasn't in her territory, but she filled in for someone else. And she spent that day at a doctor's office in this tiny town. And uh, after she had kind of done her pitch for the drugs that she was selling, uh, as they're walking away, the doctor asks her about her and her family. And, and she said, well, I don't have any kids. She said, well, do you, you and your husband want kids? And she said, yeah, but yeah, we're unable to have children. Um, it's, it's been a difficult season. And then uh, she goes on forgetting about it. And a year and a half later, and so this doctor on the other line says, I don't know if you remember this, but I came, you came into my office a year and a half ago and you told me that you wanted to have children, but you weren't able to. Is this still true for you? And Amy said, it was such a strange question, but she couldn't help but answer it honestly. She said, yes, but... I believe we have given up on that dream. And the doctor said, before you give up on that dream, in my office right now sits a young girl who is pregnant and the father of the baby has now left the country and wants nothing to do with it. And this girl wants to give up this child for adoption. Would you be willing? And Amy began to cry. And within months, after years and years of prayers and heartache and heartbreak, Amy and her husband held their beautiful daughter and put the pink footies on her tiny feet and thanked God for the new blessings because the blue footies had been filled and now the pink had been filled. Now, I don't share that story to show you that, that things always work out in the end, but rather to tell you that the moments of Amy crying, the yelling at God and throwing things across the room after she hears of a teenage girl getting pregnant, those real, honest, raw impulses, they were just as much a part of her victory as giving those blue footies away. It was a part of her journey the path to true spirituality, the path to a close relationship with Jesus is not a path that goes around pain and distress and despair and doubt. No, the true path of a follower of Jesus, the true spiritual path is always through pain, through the depths, through the deepest parts of who we are. And this year, this season, Oh, it's been so difficult. It's been so dark. But that means that dawn is coming, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, 
that it won't always be this hard. And that's what the season of Lent and Easter Sunday shows us, that the worst thing is not the last thing, that there will be light, that the sun will rise. And so to end our time together, 365 days after this thing called COVID-19 took over so much of our world and our lives. And we wanna end with this video as we reflect on this past year and as we look toward the dawn coming soon. We wanna thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Uh, next week, we are back at Fort Washington Elementary School and we're having an outdoor service and we have PC Kids Ministry. Our staff and our team are so excited to play with your kids and to have fun and to do it in a way that, that keeps everybody safe as possible, um, but is also a great blessing in helping them love God and love others. And so we can't wait. Uh, it's at 10 a.m. And then the following week, we have pastor, author, theologian, Jonathan Martin, who's gonna be teaching um, on Palm Sunday. And then after that, we're in person every week, Easter Sunday and beyond. We can't wait to see you soon. Peace in the Middle East.